0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter three, and we're going to be looking in that text at what the, the children just read to us from the children's storybook Bible. Uh, we've begun a series, as Maggie mentioned a little bit earlier, called uh, God Came Down. And we're going to be answering the question this, this December. We're going to be answering the theology behind Christmas, not just the events, as we'll often focus. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on the events of Mary and Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, and so forth. But really want to answer the theological questions of why Christmas. And we want to frame that around four moments in time when God came to earth to inject himself into our world to gather our attention. Have you ever thought of some of the gifts you received when you were a kid that you wish you'd have kept? Like things that you had when you were a kid that you're thinking, man, if I still had that, uh, maybe it's because of the value of it today or the nostalgia, or maybe it was given to you by somebody who you cherish who's no longer with us, and it would just be a good thing to have that to remember them by. I, I think often of my J.I. Joe with Kung Fu grip and the metal locker I had. And every now and then I'll torture myself by going online saying, if I had that toy in the condition I had it, how much would the value be? And if you're interested, this year I could get $2,400 for that G.I. Joe. I'm going to get over it one day. I had a matchbox collection of muscle cars in the little locker that held them all with the little compartments. And I had three big, one of those satchels that you would carry around. And I went to college and mom threw them away and forgiveness will one day happen. Uh, My brothers and I had Hot Wheel tracks, those orange interlinkable tracks. We had enough between the three of us. We could stretch them through our entire living room up the stairs, and we would run all the time. And when we weren't running our cars, we'd disconnect them and whip each other and leave welts. Christmas was a lot of fun. Every toy had multiple purposes. Oh, I had a lava lamp and a disco ball and a Farrah Fawcett poster. I repent of all of those things. You see, in the story of Christmas, it is about gifts, But I want to talk to you this particular week about a gift that maybe some of us would like back, a gift that he gave us. You see, trust when given is one of the stages of growing up. When you were given trust as a little girl or a little boy and you became a big girl and a big boy and you were given real responsibilities, do you remember how much that meant to you? Do you remember how restorative that was when your parents treated you like you could do this on your own? Remember when you were little and one of the demands of life was, I can do it on my own, I can do it. Let me do it. We were born to respond to trust, to respond to responsibilities. I can remember, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I can remember distinctly because we moved from the first house I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. We moved when I was going into fifth grade. And I remember it was about second grade that in my neighborhood, and this is so hard to explain to those of you 25 and younger, but back in my neighborhood, there were markets, there were grocery stores in the neighborhoods. And you didn't have to go to the super Walmart. You just walked three or four blocks and you could find a grocery store in your neighborhood. That's just the way it was designed when I was growing up. And I remember the first time, I think I was in second grade, my mom gave me two $1 bills and told me to walk down to Van Buren's Market and bring home a gallon of milk. You couldn't have blessed me more. I got to go by myself. I walked the three blocks. I took a block to my right. I had to cross Portage Avenue, which was a very busy intersection. And I went into the market and my mom gave me $2 and she said, it'll be a little over a dollar and you can buy yourself some candy, but bring me the change. What a day. I walked the four blocks. I crossed the street safely. I got the gallon of milk. I was so proud to handle the $2. I, I bought now and laters. You can look those up if you don't know what those are. I bought a package of watermelon now and laters. I remember it distinctly and I got my change and I walked home. I remember having to stop two or three times to set the milk down because it hurt my hand. And I remember the marks in my fingers from trying to hold that heavy thing up and not knowing how to carry it. And I, I got back and I gave it to my mom and I showed her the candy and I gave her the change and we went about our life. And that night at dinner, my mom made a big deal to tell my dad that Mark walked to Van Buren's and brought home a gallon of milk. You, I was king of the world. That felt so good to be a big boy, to look at my older brothers like I'm not a, I'm not a little baby. And it was just a proud moment that they gave me trust. I think every one of us in our life are looking for those places and moments where people we admire trust us. They believe in us. They, they put us in a position that we get to do something that is just a part of growing up. I remember many summers, uh, my brother Scott and I, probably from the time I was in fourth grade till about eighth grade, we'd go to the family farm. My uncle Bob's farm in uh, just outside of Brookfield, Missouri, which is up by Chillicothe, and we would spend two weeks there, two to three weeks there every summer just hanging out on the farm, and I remember getting really gutsy and asking my Uncle Bob, I love this man. I adore him to this day. I feared him. He was a tough guy, and he didn't suffer fools, but he was so good and kind, and I asked him if I could drive his tractor, and he looked at me, and he's like, my tractor? And I said, yeah, and he's like, it's a stick. Do you know how to drive a stick? I was in seventh grade. Of course I lied. Yeah, and he said, well, get, he called me City Kid. City Kid, get on that thing, and he put me on, he taught me how to drive... Automatic or not an automatic manual. And so he was teaching me all this, and he said, well, what do, you, what do you want to drive it? I said, I don't know, out in the pasture and chase the cows. And he said, all right. And he, he said, here's how you do it, and this is what you do, and be careful when you go through the gate. And then he said the words that haunted me. He said, if you get it stuck, you have to get it out. I had no idea what that meant. But I knew with trust came responsibility, and I knew I couldn't handle it. And I, so I took the tractor out, went inside, chased a cow or two, came right back in. I think I was gone four minutes. I came back in and he scoffed and parked it and threw him or he put the keys where he held them and and I went about my business and that that responsibility was way too much because I knew that if I got it stuck, I knew deep in my heart, there's no way I'm getting this unstuck. Well, the reason I tell you those stories is because I want you to understand that the Christmas story and the answering of the theology behind why Christmas happened is important for us to understand the trust involved and the responsibility that came with it. And if we get that right, we're gonna have a theological foundation to celebrate Christmas in the way I think it ought to be celebrated because Christmas is more than a holiday. Christmas is a promise kept. It is a promise kept, and it should be cherished for that in and of itself. Or as our, our uh, kids read for us this morning from the Children's Storybook Bible, I loved it. If I close my eyes, it sounds like a great Charlie Brown cartoon on television with the kids' voices. This is one of the things that was read. Don't eat the fruit on the tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. And he was right. You see, there's three simple things I want to teach this morning. First of all, Christmas is sinful. I know that it's hard to hear, it kind of takes away the nostalgia of it all, but it is. It's sinful. I don't mean like in celebrating Christmas or or whatever you associate with that, you know Xmas versus Christmas, none of those arguments carry any water. What I simply want to tell you is that the theological idea behind this series is that Christmas is sinful. The reason we have Christmas, the reason it exists is because of sin. If you don't understand the why of Christmas, understand why God came and what does it mean? And we can roll our eyes cuz it is a cliche, but Jesus is the gift. It's not the gifts we give not the gifts we receive. To understand Christmas fully, we have to receive the gift of Jesus in and of itself. And because Christmas is full of sin, God came. It's the first moment we point out of the four we're going to look at in this series about why God entered into our world. See, ultimately, sin is the reason for the season. And because of that, we're blessed. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the message Translation of the scriptures, and yes, it's different than what you have in front of you. The reason I want you to have your Bibles open is to see what the translation you have says, compared to the overall translation, or the idea translation of the message. Because every now and then I think it's healthy for us, instead of hearing what we've always heard, to hear it in a slightly different way to capture our attention. Let's read Genesis 3-1. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? Verse three, God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. Interesting, isn't it? That the presence of sin will always reveal the issues of trust. The presence of sin in our life will always reveal to us the issues behind trust. When we disobey God, and I'm gonna make a big, big statement, okay? Not because, I mean, I love being right, but not trying to be right, but trying to make a point. But I think this is consistent throughout scripture. If you look at any sin in your life, and I can tell you that I know for a fact every sin in my life. If you look at any sin in scripture, it comes down to one of two core beliefs. We either don't believe God is good or we don't believe God is wise. Every single sin comes down to whether we think God is for us or against us, or we don't believe God knows what he's talking about. Look at our culture today. Scriptures are clear in so many places that our world has dismissed. Like, well, that doesn't fit anymore. God couldn't anticipate our culture today. He couldn't anticipate our needs today. So when God said, don't do this because it's sinful, we think, well, that doesn't count anymore because that makes me happy when I sin." We either don't believe God is good or we don't believe that God is wise. And in the garden, God had been nothing but good. He'd given them life, health, surrounded them in paradise, a place so beautiful the world couldn't even understand it today. It was perfect. God gave them all these gifts out of his goodness. God ordered everything perfectly. And one thing God asked of Adam and Eve, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that I'm good. I want you to trust that I'm wise. Yet Satan comes in the deceiver. And his first challenge to them is, if God is good, how come he's denying you? If God is wise, how come he's scared of you? See, Satan went right after the two core beliefs behind every sin. You see, it wasn't that they couldn't trust God. What's revealed was God couldn't trust them. And if we're all honest with each other, one of the reasons we need Christmas is because we can't be trusted. And how does Christmas bless us? Because it reveals God can be trusted. And the gift that God gave us in the garden, we lost it. We traded it away. We didn't understand its value and we wish we had it back, don't we? We wish we had that everyday presence. You see, the reason for Christmas is because of sin. The promise of Christmas is to overcome sin. Satan said, you won't die. You'll see what's really going on. And then they did. And what they saw wasn't what they thought they'd see. They saw that the wisdom of God was correct. The goodness of God had been apparent, and they had traded it in for a lack of trust. They had traded it in for a selfishness. Genesis 3, 7. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked, which is fascinating. I really love what Eugene Peterson does in the message because they were always naked naked. They didn't become naked. They were always naked. And they were not uncomfortable being naked. They didn't feel vulnerable. They didn't feel unsafe. They felt exactly the way God had created them to feel. And then when they disobeyed the Lord and they saw themselves for the first time for what they were, they realized that the only reason they felt safe and not vulnerable is because of God's presence. When God's presence wasn't with them, that they felt exposed. They felt unsafe. They felt broken. And yet the imagery of God coming to us The reason I call this series God Came Down was I want you to know that God had been down previously. God had been with them in the garden. But it was when they found themselves naked and hid themselves in shame that God came for the first time and had to inject himself into their world. They had left the garden and were hiding in the bushes. They were trying to cover their shame. They were isolated from one another. They were not in community and they were desperate. And in that moment, God came. God didn't come in anger. God came in compassion, God came in love, God came in goodness. He he comes down and he enters into their world and he punishes them, yes, by making them accept the consequences of their choice, but he also brings something else. What once was open and honest now has become hidden and shameful. Christmas is sinful. It's why we celebrate it. But Christmas is also promiseful. I know that's not a word. It's full of promise. It has an antidote to the poison of our sin. You see, the first Christmas I don't know if you know this the first Christmas was not actually celebrated until about 300 years after Jesus was born. The early church did not have a Christmas celebration. That doesn't mean we shouldn't. But they did not deal with the, the beauty, the nostalgia, the, the, the scene and the nativity. They, didn't, they saw that as truth, but they didn't see that as the image. What they realized was the man on the cross was the image. But 300 years after Jesus, the first Christmas celebration that we're aware of was celebrated. Yet I also want you to know, if you wonder, what well, does that mean we shouldn't? I also want you to know the first Christmas message ever preached was 4,000 years before it came. So Christmas has always been celebrated. And God preached the very first Christmas message. The Garden of Eden was his pulpit and sinners was his audience when he preached the first Christmas message. Look at verses 14 and 15 from Genesis three with me. God told the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed, cursed beyond all. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head and you'll wound his heel. God preached the first Christmas message. Because Christmas is sinful, there was a promise that came within the sin of Christmas where God was the solution. You see, God cares about us when we don't care about him. God comes after us when we hide from him. God is compassionate toward us when we ignore him. God is good to us when we question his goodness, and God's wisdom works when we question him as a fool. If you trust the one he sends, if you trust the promise he delivers, God's gonna do something. And then something strange happens. Depending on the translation you have open in front of you, when God preaches his first Christmas message, and he says to Eve, from your seed, Some of your translations say, now listen, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to sciences when I was in school. I only went to them because I had to. You give me a history class, spend all day. Give me a science class, what do I got to do to pass? I'm not saying that's okay. It's my struggle. But I learned something in seventh grade. Women don't have seeds. They have eggs. Men have seed. Women have eggs. Seed and egg come together. You have babies. You uncomfortable yet? (laughs) Some of you are like, dude, my kid's in here. I'm done, okay? But I just want to tell you from a physiological, st- I realize that God says, your seed. She doesn't have a seed. Did God mess it up? No, he's making a point. It's a prophetic illusion. Because she doesn't have a seed, how is it going to be her seed? Because God's going to give her the seed. It won't come from Joseph. It won't come from a man. It's going to come from God. And so this is where the virgin birth comes. The theology of Christmas comes together, that God's remedy to our sinful nature and the need for Christmas is because there's a promise. You see, look at with me at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord will give you a sign. The Lord's going to do this work and you're going to call him Savior. You're going to call him by his name. And this word virgin in the Hebrew that Isaiah would have used, the word virgin can mean one of two things. They're not that different, but they can be. The first is referring to a young girl, like someone probably before puberty or just entering into puberty, maybe 12 to 14 years of age. It can also mean a woman who's never been with a man and has sexual intercourse. We believe that the Hebrew word that Isaiah used here is the secondary, but includes the first. She was very, very young and never been with a man. Makes both cases. Well, why is that important? Well, look what Matthew, led by the Holy Spirit, says about this moment in Matthew chapter 1. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God is going to give you a child. Joseph's not giving you a child. No other man will give you a child. The seed. That enters into your egg and produces this boy will be from God. It will come from the Holy Spirit. It will be something that you could not have done for yourself. God will do this. See, God gives the gift of Jesus in a powerful way because Christmas is sinful, but it's also full of promise. Mary would carry a child that was not given to her by man, but given to her by God, and that child would change everything. That child is the gift. It is the gift that always is promised. It is the gift that we needed. It is perfect. Yet for many of us, we traded it in. We've put it away. We've forgotten what happened to it. And as I opened, wouldn't you give anything to have that gift back and hold on to it for the precious nature? Not only because it's valuable, not only because it's useful, but it's also connected to who gave it to you and what that means to you. So God comes into the garden. He comes down and enters into the garden, which is now broken by sin, and he punishes the snake. He punishes Adam and Eve, but he gives a promise in that moment that overcomes even the punishment. You will suffer your consequences, but I will deliver to you a gift. Mary, I will give you a child, and that child will come from Eve's line, and I'm gonna give you a child, and that child's gonna crush Satan's work. It's going to end what brought Christmas about, the sinful nature of each of us. So we know this is true, right? We know that Christmas is sinful, and we know that it's also full of promise. The the word of hope I want to give you today, in a year that Chip's already addressed it when he was talking about, man, we should have started Christmas back in uh, March. You can find the gift of trust in Christmas. I'm angry all the time. How about you? I wish I knew why. But I find myself just I mean, stuff that would never have gotten under my skin, I would have just laughed off like just a temporary inconvenience like a mosquito bites, things for days now. I find myself grumpy, I'm naturally grumpy, but I find myself grumpy all the time. I'm mad at people that I love and I'm just, am I the only one in the room who's struggled with this incessant wondering and I don't realize what it was? I'm not in control of anything. This year didn't turn out anything like I thought it would. I worry about things I can't stop. I worry about things that could happen, that may happen, and I can't keep them from happening. I worry about things that may never happen again, that I wish would happen again, and I can't do anything about it. I'm struggling over and over with trust. I need God to be God. I need God to fix what I can. not I need God to protect what I want him to, and I'm not guaranteed he'll do any of those things, because when I begin to say, God, why won't you protect what I want you to protect? I'm questioning whether he's good and wise. Instead of surrendering in trust to who he is. You see, the gift may be as important, not only for what it is, but who it came from. And Jesus is the perfect gift. His value is undeniable. Who gave him to us is also undeniable. In Isaiah chapter nine, it says, for unto us, a child is born. To us, a child is given and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you think what the world needs today, and you just listen to what Isaiah said, look at what we got. A counselor who has wisdom. A God who is all-powerful. A God who's going nowhere. He will be with us for eternity. And one who brings us peace. I don't know about you, but the one gift I know for certain I need this Christmas is trust. And it's not whether God can trust me comes down to whether I'll trust him. First John 3:8 clarifies our need. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. John is only pointing us back to Genesis 3. Why did God interject himself into a dark garden broken by sin with two naked people hiding in fear? It was not because he had to be right. It's because he said to a group that did not trust him, you can now. And I'm going to send my son to prove to you that I can be trusted, to prove to you that I'm in control, to prove to you that nothing you break, I cannot fix. He came and he offered all of this. What I'd like to do this Christmas season is more than just have nostalgic memories, even though I opened with two. What I'd like to do is answer the question, why we celebrate Christmas? What have we already received? It's not a matter of hoping we get it. Can we trust God? Did Jesus show us that God can be trusted? And I hearken back to that moment, my uncle let me drive his fancy tractor, very expensive tractor. I couldn't have fixed it if I'd have broken it. I just wanted to go have fun and goof. But when he dropped that bomb on me, if you get it stuck out in the pasture, you're gonna have to get it out. I didn't want that responsibility. And one of the blessings of God's ability to be trusted, his trustworthiness, if you will, is that there is nothing we get stuck that God will not unstick. There's nothing that we break that God can't repair. There's nothing that's ours that isn't actually his. So when he gave us Jesus, he gave us hope. You see, trust broken is hard to rebuild. With God, we never have to worry about trust being broken. Through Jesus, we never have to worry about God's faithfulness or God's goodness or God's wisdom. In Jesus, we don't have to hide in the bushes full of shame and vulnerability and naked. Jesus himself became naked on the cross take away our nakedness so we might be healed. In Jesus, we we face knowing today that God's plan works and it redeems and we will call him savior because that's what he is. In Jesus, we know that there's nothing in life that will conquer us when God's power is present within us. See, for some of us here today, if we think about it, the truth is we come to church because it's Christmas time. But that's just because it's December and this helps us get ready for the season. There's nothing wrong with that. But please understand, there's more than the events of Christmas that make it real. There's the truth, the foundation that Christmas happens because we are sinners. And Jesus came with the promise of overcoming our sin so that you and I can not only find life, we can find truth that we can trust. See, the question is whether, is not whether or not we'll let God trust us. The question this Christmas for all of us is will we fall deeper into God and trust him? In the midst of those moments when this world has messed with us because we're not in charge, we're not in control, we have little say in how this thing's going. We have little say in how long it's going to last and we have little say of what 2021 will be going forward. But we do know this, on the other side of December 31st, our God is still alive and well. And the promise of Jesus Christ is present. (laughs) And yes, there's a lot to question. And I'm with you. There's a lot to question and fear. We may have to clap for ourselves until January 2nd if it gets worse. But at the end of the day, can we trust that God is faithful? God is good. And yes, we can. Why? Because Jesus came and entered into our world and found us hiding naked in the bushes. And he called us by name. And he erased what we've done. And he ended our shame. And he clothed us in his white robe of righteousness and we have life. We have been given the gift. The question will never be, can we trust God? The question will only be, will we live each and every day guided by that trust, formed by that trust, shaped by it? Let's pray together. Father, we ask this day that we lean into you. As you have revealed yourself to us through Jesus, Father, awaken our memories. When we think about Christmas's past, we have beautiful memories and we have some hard ones. We have some ones that are just neutral, I guess. But we come to your presence today, we're asking that you will awaken us to that great gift you gave us when you sent Jesus. That gift of life, of purpose, of hope. Father, we're asking this morning that you'll awaken our hearts to who you are, the giver of the gift and to the gift itself. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for taking on our shame because of your compassion and love. Father, you gave us this gift because we broke this world. We broke our souls. We, we didn't trust you. We didn't believe in you. And you came and showed us with great compassion and mercy that you can be trusted and that you are loving and that you are good. Today, we worship your name. We celebrate your gift to us. We receive Jesus I pray for anyone hearing my voice this morning who has not given themselves to Jesus, that your spirit might reveal to them the truth of why he came, who he is, and what he offers. May we all follow that man to the end of our lives and into our eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again. Thanks again for checking out this